Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. Our first episode of 2021 is with Liverpool legend and Sky Sports pundit, Jamie Carragher. He spoke to Simon Austin about how he analyzes matches, his use of tech, and he gave his thoughts on the current Premier League season. Over to Simon. I think Monday night football has elevated uh, analysis to another level. Is that something that you always had in your locker, do you think? Is it something you're interested in as a player? Yes, I was. I used to watch everything as a player. I used to watch, you know, Monday night football when it was Andy Gray. I used to watch Match of the Day when Alan Hansen was, was doing that. And I, I was always interested in, not what they said specifically, but I was always interested in the tactical side of the game and and the small details, I would say, is really, it's not just about tactics. Uh, rather than just saying, you know, he scored, he made the mistake, maybe go into things a little bit deeper. I always thought about football a little bit deeper, really. And I think the situation or the situation for people like me as ex-players is either going to coaching or punditry. And punditry was there for me. And, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, the situation now with Monday Night Football is, everyone knows it is more of a tactical show and a little bit different than anything else that we have in this country. I'm not sure, you know, what other countries, what they have in Spain or Italy or how they look at, at games. But I think Monday Night Football is the closest thing I can take to being back into being a player, where it gives me a real buzz. I get a little bit of nerves before the shows. I know there's that much detail and that much preparation gone into it. And you want it to, to be good and you want it to be seen as, you know, the best show out there in terms of football. And how does it actually work while the game's going on? So like last night, what, what would you actually be doing, say, during the first half? What angles would you watch? Are you with a producer? What are you looking for? Give a bit of well, insight on that. Yeah, I mean, the actual, I wouldn't say we watch it differently than, than when I'd watch it at home. At this moment, because of, of COVID, there's not as many people working uh, on the show. So we're not as strong as we normally are. So normally we'd have a screen where we could see all 22 players for the Monday night football game. And we'd spot things off the ball that we can't just quite do at this moment because of it, as I said, the situation we're in. But you've got to remember in the first half of a game, you'd see little things, but you've only got three minutes of half time. So if there's a goal, that's it, that's done. Now, if it's nil-nil, there might be a big incident to look at. But you may look at trends in the game that you could think, OK, just save that. And you'd be speaking to the producer and uh, the clips guy there and... You know, building something together that you may use at the end of the game. You may not, because it may be, you know, huge talking points that you have to touch on. There may be, a, you know, a huge shock in the game, whatever it may be. But you're almost preparing for the game being bad or a poor game, or it's nil-nil or one-nil, not a lot's happened. So you're almost building something tactically for the end if you need it. We very rarely do use it uh, so much. A lot of the tactical stuff is more looking what's happened at the weekend as opposed to looking on the actual game on the, uh, the Monday night. Because you do always seem to spot things that I wouldn't when I watch a game, you know, and little things off the ball, th things like that. Have you just got an eye for that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I just think it, you can only look at, the, at the, the, the shots that you've got. And I just basically go through every player. What is every player's job there? Now, I don't know for certain what every player's job, only the manager can know that and the players, but with my experience of being in situations like that before. So I would look at every player and think, okay, what was his job? What was he supposed to do? What's the idea? What are you looking to do? And almost highlight everybody and look at them and think, is there something off the ball? Is there something someone's done differently here, uh, really? So, you know, last night we looked at uh, 
the goal Southampton scored against Liverpool, and we, we looked at the role of Trent Alexander-Arnold in that, whether Danny Ings and James Ward-Prowse had set something up between themselves. But there was something really interesting with, with Jordan Henderson and, and the role of Armstrong of Southampton, who pushed them back, which kept Danny Ings on side. So that's just looking at things off the ball. And, uh, yeah, it's just trying to find something a little bit different uh, and going that little bit deeper. And as deep as I would say my coaches would go when we were going through a game uh, on a Monday morning, that's the best way of explaining it. It's almost like a debrief, hopefully, uh, for supporters and giving them an insight into what a Monday morning meeting would be like on the back of, of a game with a, with a manager and the detail he would go into. And how do you use Y Scout? Well, I use it a lot for me for me work with Sky Sports. So, I mean, there's just so many new players coming into the league every season. And, and you know, we talk about pundits doing the homework and uh, things like that. But it's very difficult to be up to speed on every player who comes in and know the background and where they're, you know, they're from. So I've never, uh, I've never claimed to know uh, as much as maybe supporters of an individual club who, who know everything about their club, players that come in, who they're looking to sign. So it's a great tool when uh, a player comes in to sort of have a look, have a look at his characteristics as a player, strengths, weaknesses, uh, really. So it's a great tool for me in the job that I do, really. Uh, so it's been a huge help. Yeah, superb. Uh, so what, how would you actually use it? Would you look at video clips and data of a particular player? Yeah, it, for me, it's normally... It's normally the, the clips more than anything. I mean, I know there's data on there, but we have a lot of uh, data people at Sky provide stats and things like that. My role is more to provide the analysis of, of an action in a game, uh, put myself in the shoes of the player because that's my experience. So it's really good for me if I want to highlight or look at one player. I don't have to go through a full game. I can just look at someone's you know best actions, as you, as you see on Y Scout, and then... The different type of analysis that we may do would be when it be on a on a game scenario. So you know, a big game at the weekend. You watch it on Sky. I'm I'm not in the studio. I'm getting ready for. Oh, sorry, I'm getting ready for Monday night football, and you want to see the full 22 players in shot. That's a really big thing for me with analysis. Uh, really seeing what's going on off the ball and not just following the ball. And I think you can just see so much more in that. So it's a great tool for me. Uh, that really when, when you're going to do a, a team analysis or maybe where the game was won and lost rather than just highlighting strengths or weaknesses of an individual player. Right, oh, that's interesting. So did you actually do much video analysis when you were a player? I, I guess it ramped up during your career. Yeah, you do bits. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot more now, the analysis of, of it now. And I think players maybe go in individually and get clips. Obviously, the way technology's gone now, everyone with you know laptops and iPads and phones and maybe getting things sent to them. Uh, at times as well for analysis and maybe that wouldn't be the manager that would be the the analysis guy every, every club now certainly in the Premier League will have two or three people who, who look at the analysis really so they're probably a lot more in depth now than what uh, what I was used to but I mean I was fortunate I had a good football brain in terms of understanding the game so when a manager or a coach spoke to me I, I quickly got what they were talking about I mean there was other players who were uh, a lot better at me at may act different other things maybe technically uh, maybe pace wise height wise all different things but I'd say my, one of my strengths as a player was sort of reading the game and understanding the game so I think that helps me in the job that I do now Yeah because I've spoken to some players who said that it would be like a VHS tape on a Sunday um, mm. when it started off so was it like that say under Roy Evans or Gerard Houlier? I think, I think I think we'd move to DVD 
by the time I'd got there, but it was probably pretty something uh, similar. So, yeah, it wasn't as in-depth, in, in no, than what maybe it was towards the end of my career with sort of Brendan Rodgers uh, in, in that situation. Really. And that was almost computer-generated, really, rather than just sticking, you know, the game on back again. So, did we get different camera angles? Some coaches like having the camera behind the goal uh, as well, so you can sort of maybe see how the back four are working. I mean, a lot of coaches now, almost everyone, I think in the Premier League, actually record training sessions now. And actually there's analysis on the back of training sessions. So it's a, it's a lot more in-depth than when I was playing. There's no way, there's no doubt about that. Just hopefully these uh, players who are playing now, they don't pick too much up of it and uh, think that they can take over me in Monday Night Football because I'm not used to all this new technology. Do you think as a player it can almost become too much if you think you're being scrutinised and watched all the time, training matches? And so yeah, I agree. I, I think I think I'd find it hard for someone analysing my training session every single day. Really, we all like a little day off. We all switch off now and again uh, in training at different times. So, I think in that situation, I think when managers use it for training, I don't think they use it as in the ninety-minute session. But I think there may be a tactical part of, of the session, maybe for twenty minutes. It may be working on the front two, the back four, the whole team, and eleven v eleven. And then you're looking at what you're planning to take into the game, really. So there may be something in that as much rather than actually the whole session. But I think when it's really serious tactical stuff, I totally get why coaches are looking to sort of uh, bring that analysis on board before the game rather than looking after the game at what went wrong. We're best looking before the game at what's going wrong in training and hopefully fix it for the game. Do you ever talk to coaches and managers in the week if you know that a game's coming up? Would, would you have a chat with the staff in advance? Not really, no. No. I mean, you'd have a few contacts in the game, but obviously the older you get, those, those, you know, the less that becomes, really. Uh, I'm always a little bit wary of getting too close to a coach or a manager because you, you find it difficult then to be critical or question how do you set the team up. So I'm very wary of that, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, I, you know, I look at a lot of games, I watch a lot of you know, teams and managers and great managers we have in the Premier League. And, and there's not a million formations. There's not a million ideas. You know, there's probably four or five different formations that teams play up and down the Premier League, uh, really. So I don't think there's lots of completely different ideas, really. So I don't think, you know, when we see something, more often than not, it's not something that we haven't seen before or understand the idea of what a coach or a team are trying to do. Yeah. I wonder if coaches and players get a bit frustrated sometimes with some of the criticism they'll get from fans because they maybe won't understand exactly what the player's been asked to do, you know, and what the game plan was and the ins and outs of it, you know, there could be a bit of a gap. Um, in that. No, no, I agree. I, I do agree on that. I'm not just fans, pundits as well, because we don't know the game plan of, no. of any manager. We, you know, we're trying to read the game and the game's happening. But what I would say is I do feel fans now are so much more educated on the game. You see them now with social media, uh, podcasts, fan blogs, and and I don't think you just you need to have played the game to have an understanding of the game. Uh, and I think supporters probably in the past, maybe 20, 30 years ago, were almost seen as hadn't got a clue about football, and that was wrong. You only have to read club fanzines to understand that. But I think the fanzine culture of uh, supporters up and down the land has now gone on to actually their own analysis in some ways. And, and you see uh, clubs now, have, as I said, you know, the things they're all involved in, they're all analysing their own games. Uh, and I know that more than anyone with Liverpool being such a you know big club, having such a big fan base. There's so many people want to give opinions. And a lot of them, at times, you listen to and, and 
and at times they may not, may not listen to me. There's no right or wrong. It's opinions football, uh, really. But I, I think the supporters now are a lot more educated on what their manager and you know team and players and set up and what, what the uh, the team are trying to do. And has the season kind of panned out as you expected it so far? No, not really. Uh, it's a lot tighter than I thought it would be. I thought it would still be Liverpool and City being the teams to catch. I still envisage that at the end of the season, but... I think it's been a great season so far, the way there's been lots of teams dropping points. Every team goes into every game feeling they've got a chance to win the game. And I just think it's great when you're seeing different teams at the top and teams shouldn't be getting too down hard when they lose a game here or there or drop points because a couple of wins and you're right back up there because everyone's in the same boat at this moment. And it makes it a lot more exciting than I think it's been in the last few years. Yeah. And, I mean, do, do you think the Van Dijk injury has had a massive impact on Liverpool so far? I don't think it's had a massive one. I think it's had an impact. I think he's, he's the best centre-back in the country, uh, possibly in the world. And, uh, yeah, you, you can only miss a player of that quality. I think if Van Dijk's fifth the whole season, I have no doubt in saying Liverpool would win the league. I really do believe that. But Liverpool are still near the top without Van Dijk. So, you know, it, it shows it can be done. The defensive record since Van Dijk has been injured, uh, has been pretty good as well. But I do feel Liverpool should rectify that position in January because if they don't, I think it would be tough for them to retain the title. Yeah. Is that quite tricky? Are they looking some, for someone as backup then or for someone who could be a starter alongside him when he comes back, do you think? Well, I'm not sure what they are looking for at this moment. Uh, really, for me, I, I think they should be looking to, to bring someone into play, obviously right now, and provide great competition for Joe Gomez and, and Virgil van Dijk on the back next summer. I think Joe Matip's a really you know, good centre-back, but he can't be trusted injury-wise. He can only give you 20 games a season, and that's not enough. So I think Liverpool need a centre-back in the summer anyway. It's just whether the, you know, the club have got the funds to bring that forward four or five months. Yeah, and... Have Tottenham surprised you? Do, you? do you think they're genuine contenders? I've never thought they were... I've never believed Tottenham would win the league. I think if Tottenham finish in the top four, I think they've had a really good season. Because I think you look at Liverpool, City, even United squads are all better than Tottenham. You'd actually say Chelsea's squad is better than uh, Tottenham as well. So if Tottenham do finish in the top four, I think Jose's done a really good job. But I don't, I don't see them really challenging for the title. I don't think they've quality back up. No, because quite a lot of people had written Mourinho off and then said he was not not adapted to the modern age, you know, in, in terms of tactics, man management. Um, but do you think he's proven people wrong, really, with that? Well, I think if you, he's, he's got to win a trophy at Tottenham. That's the big thing for any Tottenham manager to come in and try and win a trophy. I mean, I like the fact Jose plays differently or he plays his way. That is different to Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. I don't want to see everybody play the same way. I love seeing Jose play his way and beating Man City and Arsenal who play it a different way. And I think it just gives you different sort of tactical challenges, different things for us to look at and look at and uh, you know analyse as well when there's different types of styles of managers and, and teams in the league. So I don't think Jose needs to prove himself to anyone with his with his CV or that he needs to change or do things differently. You know, I just think whatever way you coach or however way you set up your team tactically, you just need to be as good as you can possibly be at doing that. Uh, and the same for everyone. I mean, there's teams at the bottom of the table who play uh, counter-attacking football. There's teams at the bottom of the table who play out from the back. You know, the, there's no right or wrong way. It's just being as good as you can possibly be at what you believe in. Did you sort of sense a change in man management as your career went on? Because now people say it can't be as command and control. You can't just say, do this, do that. You've got to have players on board with you and more two-way communication. 
Yeah, without a doubt. I think the, the, the days of, you know, screaming and shouting and throwing teacups around the changing room, I think those days are well gone. I don't think players would respond to that at all. And there's no doubt uh, football moves on, it evolves, and I think the same with management as well. And, you know, when you're in management for a long time, I mean, no one can stop father time. You, you're getting older, you, you know, younger players are coming in, and how do you adapt? How do you connect with these players? So there has to be a different way, not just you know, this is my way or the highway type of uh, attitude. So, yes, as a manager, I think you have to adapt and evolve as time goes on. I mean, you talk about Jose Mourinho, but, I mean, I'm not in his dressing rooms. I don't really know how he deals with players or how he dealt with them 20 years ago. So, whether he's evolved or not, I'm sure that'll all come out when we uh, we read all the autobiographies of the players in uh, 10, 15 years' time. Yeah, definitely. Did you have a preference for how you like to play tactically as a defender? Because I guess the role, again, has evolved quite a lot when you look at centre-backs, what they do. Yeah, I mean, I think centre-back now is the most demanding position on the pitch. We expect a centre-back to be able to be, you know, start attacks, play great football. We expect a centre-back to be able to defend on the halfway line with space in behind, so he's got to be quick. Can he defend 1v1? Because full-backs push on. So we have so much of uh, centre-backs at this moment uh, in the game. And would I have been comfortable playing at the halfway line every week? I don't think I would. I don't think I was that type of defender. I would have had to have adapted to, to the modern game. You always believe you could adapt. I think most players feel that, but who knows? But I played for two managers in Rafa Benitez and Gerard Hulier, who I won most of my trophies with. And they were certainly not managers who wanted their back four on the halfway line and push up as much. We used to look to counter-attack opposition at different times as well. So we played lots of different ways with different managers I had, really. Uh, going from the extreme of the boot room of, of Roy Evans, total football, and finishing my career at Liverpool like that with Brendan Rodgers. And in between having you know two managers, I'd say foreign managers, Julian Benitez, who favoured maybe a more defensive side of a, of a setup. So we, I, I got both sides of it, really. Yeah. And is the Jurgen Klopp team a team you would have loved to play in? Because it, it does look great from the outside. In so many it levels. does. And I, yeah, it really does. It's a special team. And I think that the, the important word is team. And I think that's what it is. There's stars in the team, of course, in every team. But the way this team moves up and down the pitch, that's the great thing that stands out for me. You can see the work of Jurgen Klopp on that team and how compact they are at different times when they lose the ball, how they press. Nothing is done with an individual in mind. Everything, when in possession and when out of possession, is about the team, really. And uh, I think that's a testament to uh, you know the job the uh, Jürgen Klopp's done. Um, would you like to go into coaching and management one day yourself? No, I don't think so. I think uh, when I was a player, I did. I think now I've got the role I'm in now, I love doing that. I don't think that will change, really. I would If I went into coaching and managing, it's a completely different job. I would be starting from ground zero and uh, it'd take a lot of learning, a lot of experience, really, to get anywhere near the level of, the, of the, these top guys in uh, in football, really. So I, I think I've missed the uh, the boat with that one. And you look at players of my age now who've already got experience on me. Stevie's got probably five or six years now with Liverpool's under-18s and now Rangers as well. So, you know, that experience of ups and downs, learning uh, as well. So I, I've had none of that. I've had my learning in the TV world, so... I'm here five or six years ahead of them in that world, shall we say. Yeah. Do, do you still keep in touch with Stevie regularly now? Yes, I mean, I wouldn't call it regular. He's obviously a very busy man. He's a manager of a football club. He's up in Glasgow. So the odd little text, he actually texted me today. Uh, 
so I had a couple of texts with him there today, but it's never really about what's going on at Rangers or trying to find out information or what really. I don't see too many Rangers games. Obviously, I'm focused on you know the Premier League down in England. Really, you see the odd result, the odd goal here and there. Really, so uh, it's never really about that. But you know, he's doing a fine job. Yeah, yeah, and it's a full-on job, isn't it? Being a manager at that kind of level. It is, and uh, and rightly so. I mean, football club is a major part of you know a lot of people in this country's lives, and uh, we expect our managers to work hard, do everything they possibly can to get our team results. So, yes, it is a very demanding job. I think when things go well, it's a very rewarding job as well, uh, and rightly so again. Because uh, as I said, when it doesn't go well, they get a lot of criticism, uh, managers. So when it's going well, they deserve the praise as well. Yeah, definitely. And I was just going to finish actually talking about Gerard Julio because. We had him on our podcast in March, um, so that was obviously very, very sad news uh, mm. last month, you know, and someone you've always spoken very highly of. Yeah, I was a big fan of Gerard. He was a big influence on, on my career, on the pitch and off the pitch. He was, uh, he came into our lives when we were very young, myself, Stevie Gerard, Michael Owen. And I think when you hear the, the words that were spoken about Gerard when he, he obviously passed, was uh, you could see how much he meant to these these players, not just including myself. And the job he's done at Liverpool, I think, is sometimes a little bit forgotten and underrated uh, slightly. Uh, where he took the club to, got Liverpool back winning trophies, playing the Champions League, winning big cup finals against big teams as well. You think we beat Arsenal, beat Manchester United, we beat Bayern Munich, Barcelona and Roma on the way to the UEFA Cup. So we beat all these big teams, really, to get back here winning trophies. And I look back at that time so fondly now, especially 2001. And... Uh, as I said, he was a great manager for Liverpool, and I don't think I'll ever be forgotten. No, and he, I mean, he's a lovely guy, but he had a steely edge, didn't he, as well? He did. He, he maybe wasn't uh, how people outside of football portrayed him, because uh, he was a lovely guy and a lovely man. But uh, he was very competitive, and if things didn't go his way or how he wanted them to go, he would certainly not be shy in letting the, uh, the team know or his players know, really. So there was plenty of meetings uh, that we went through, things where he... He wasn't too happy, and uh, but he was a great motivator as well, Gerard Hurier. Really good in team meetings, really good speaker on the game, spoke really well. I think that's why he ended up in you know UEFA and, and part of FIFA and on, on you know seminars with different people and, and helping young modern coaches come into the game as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. Okay, that's brilliant, Simon. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back later this month with another episode. In the meantime, you can see our latest updates on the website and on Twitter at ground underscore guru.